This podcast is brought to you by Learn Prime. Hone your development skills at learn.thoughtbot.com. Giant robots smashing into other giant robots. Hello and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast. My name is Ben Orenstein and I'm here today with my friend Chris Hunt. You may have heard me actually mention him a couple times on past episodes because we went and hacked on some closure and closure script uh, in Costa Rica. When was that? A few months ago? I think it was a month and a half ago, yeah. Yeah. So I talked about that a little bit. Uh, and Chris is here. We're broadcasting live, and by live I mean live to us, but not to you, uh, from RailsConf. And you're giving a talk t- uh, tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. I'm giving a talk on memorization techniques. Mm. Tell me more. Okay. So I, I have always been like interested in lots of different strange things, but probably the first strange thing I was interested in solving is solving the Rubik's Cube. Mm-hmm. And a big part of that is solving it for speed. So you try to memorize a bunch of algorithms, seeing it really, 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 really fast. And at the time when I was doing it competitively, it was around sub like sub 20 seconds was like, you're going to make it to the last round, possibly win the competition. Mm. So that was always the goal. Well, I eventually did actually get to that point. But then people started doing blindfold Rubik's Cube solving, mm. which is which is exactly like solving the Rubik's Cube for speed, except you have to first memorize the cube and then solve it blindfold. Mm. So that's when I first started getting interested in different memorization techniques. Mm. There are people that do competitions just for memory, just for the sake of memorizing things. So they've made a bunch of methods that you can use to make that really, really easy. Mm. So that was when you sort of first started digging into memorization stuff. Yeah. Uh, What made you want to give this talk? Because this was a while ago, right? Yeah, this was a long time ago. Uh, This is probably seven years ago. Mm -hmm. And I just, I actually didn't really get too into the the memory athlete competition part of it. I just, um, hanging out at Ruby's Cube competitions, talked to other people on how they memorized the cube and kind of learned from them. But I never got into the nitty gritty of memorizing things like names and numbers and random words and like more generally applied memory stuff. Yep. But I guess it was right about um, the time that we went to Costa Rica, so maybe two and a half months ago. I'm not, I'm not sure the reason, but I became super interested mm. in learning about the sport of memory. Mm. So I started reading books by Dominique O'Brien, who's the eight-time world memory champion. So, and he's got, he uses the same techniques as everyone else, but he's written a lot of books about it. So it's a good place to do research. Mm. What do these techniques look like? Well, they're all based on our spatial memories. We all understand that our memory sucks. Like whenever I meet somebody, um, I forget their name immediately and they do the same thing to me. Sure. This is like, it's a joke, but it's true. Everybody, everybody forgets everything. But our spatial memories seem to be totally different for most people. Like uh, we're at RailsConf, for example. We've been at this hotel for maybe three days now. We've maybe been to, been to some restaurants around the area and we've all memorized the blueprint of this building, like really accurately. Mm. If I were to ask somebody how to get to the concierge or to the bathroom, it doesn't even matter where we're standing. They could probably tell me how to get there mm. um, and tell me what I'm going to see along the way. And they didn't try to memorize that stuff. It just magically happened. So the way that all these memorization techniques work is you take the thing you want to memorize and you visualize it. So you trick your memory into thinking you're walking around experiencing this thing. Mm. And then you kind of automatically remember it. And then to recall that stuff later, you retrace your steps However it is you built the story or this journey, um, there's a method called the journey method, and that's why it's called that, because you just kind of take a journey, visualizing all these things you want to memorize, you retrace your step, and everything you wanted to remember was basically right where you left it, so you can recall anything that way. Hmm. Interesting. So pretty much all memorization techniques rely on this thing, which is like spatial memory is, is, really, is actually pretty reliable and strong. So hook into that and use it kind of polymorphically or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's like a bunch of mnemonics, and a mnemonic is just a system of taking information you already have right in front of your face and 
using that to remind you of the thing it is you actually want to remember. So there's a bunch of mnemonics to turn things you want to memorize into pictures that you can easily visualize. So for example, numbers are really, really hard to memorize. So a common technique for memorizing numbers is to make a grid, a 10 by 10 grid from 0 to 9. So you have 100 squares. Mm -hmm. Each square represents a two-digit number from 00 to 99. And you just fill in each of those squares with a picture. And then when you want to memorize numbers, instead of memorizing the numbers, you're memorizing the picture. Hmm. So if I have one square that's like, you know, um, zero, zero for me is a set of eyeballs, because it looks like eyeballs, right? Um, if I want to memorize zero, zero, I would imagine maybe somebody putting on shades. And then if I want to memorize the number 84, I would imagine a birthday cake, because that's the year I was born. Mm -hmm. And you can build stories with these numbers, and then it's much easier to remember. Hmm. And the mnemonic is the tool you use to make those pictures, because memorizing 100 pictures is you know, that, that sounds hard to do, right? So you have, you have a system that you can use to, to create pictures and then easily remember those pictures mm. based on the number. Interesting. So you've been practicing this techniques yourself then? Mm-hmm. How has that been working? Pretty good. I still suck at numbers, um, mostly because I've been lazy to make up the last 15 pictures I need. Mm -hmm. But playing cards is what I've been spending most of my time on, so okay. memorizing um, shuffled exit cards. And the reason I do that is just because it's fun. It's like the only thing that you can memorize that actually impresses people. Right, yeah. <laughs> Everything else seems really cool, but playing cards is where it's at. Huh. So what is the process that you've been using for memorizing a deck? Memorizing decks exactly like numbers. Um, when you look at a card, you, ha you, you basically don't memorize the cards. You memorize people. That's the most common method. Um, so There's a mnemonic from card to people. Yeah, absolutely. So you look, looking at a card, you have two cues that you can use. You have the value of the card, and you have the suit of the card, mm -hmm. right? So each value has a specific type of person. So like ace and two, those are athletes. Aces, ace is a male, two is a female. Mm -hmm. Three and four are actors. Three is a male, four is an actor. So every, every odd number in the deck is a male. Every even number is a female. Mm -hmm. Five and six, these are like controversial people. They've done something not everyone agrees with. Mm -hmm. Seven and eight, these are like uh, physicists, scientists, mathematicians. So those are like cues based on the value of the card. And then the suit also gives you cues. So diamonds, these are rich people. Hearts, these are like people you love, friends and family. Clubs are like, you know, badass. Think like club, like baseball bat or like mm -hmm. going to the club kind of thing, mm -hmm. whatever that means to you. Mm -hmm. Spades is funny people. Um, comedians are just like friends that are funny or people that are just funny, like they're bad at their job or something. Um, I have a lot of those. So then you look at the value of the card and you look at the suit of the card. And then those combined will remind you or make you think of a person that you can use to memorize that card. Gotcha. And that's not, there's nothing magic about this, that system. That's just like what you chose for these things. Yeah. Or like someone else recommended it. Yeah. Dominique recommended this. Everybody uses this technique. I think some people might use, instead of people, they might use objects. Mm. Uh, but I prefer to use people because using people allows you to compress your memories. Um, and, and the way this works is you take three cards out, out of the deck at a time. Mm -hmm. And instead of just thinking of a person for each card, you think of a person, an action, and an object. So if I'm looking at the uh, Ace of Diamonds, that's Michael Jordan, slam dunking, a basketball. Remember, Ace is a male athlete. Diamonds is like super fancy, extravagant. So, that, so my Ace of Diamonds is Michael Jordan, slam dunking, a basketball. And it'll always be Michael Jordan, slam, slam dunking, a basketball. I look at another card like... The uh, Jack of Spades. Mm -hmm. um, every Jack in the deck is a religious person. Spades is somebody who's funny. So this is the to me, this is the Dalai Lama for sure. I mean, this guy's a jokester. So 
you, when you take three cards out of the deck now and you've, you've recalled these three different images, you can actually combine them into a single image if you're using the person action object approach because you can take the person from the first card, the action from the second card, and the object from the third card and make one image. Mm. So I would have, for those two cards I just explained, I could have uh, Michael Jordan praying and then if we have like a third card, say my third card is um, Four of Hearts, which is my wife, Louisa, mm -hmm. and she's playing with her dog, Baxter, she's putting a Santa hat. It's, it's a weird thing, but um, I, would, I would imagine then Michael Jordan praying to my dog, Baxter, mm -hmm. which is like incredibly memorable. It's like a really vivid image, and you can, you can place that anywhere you want and, and be able to come back to it. Huh. How effective has this been for you in terms of memorizing a deck? Uh, it's been really effective. I was able, um, after coming up with the images, which took about an hour, uh, memorizing my first deck of cards and recalling it took me about two hours. Mm. And then it's, it's only gotten faster. So I'm nowhere near where I would need to be probably to even come close to winning a competition. But in order to compete in the world competition, you have to be able to remember the deck in under five minutes and you have to be able to recall the deck in under five minutes. Mm -hmm. And recalling is just taking a sorted deck and rearranging it so that it's the same order as the shuffle deck. Okay. So right now I'm about, I'm a little over 10 minutes for both of those things. So I need to improve in the recall side, especially mm. sorting that second deck and then, and maybe someday. So yeah. do you yeah. want to compete in this? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you, you have a competitive side yeah. to you. It's like we, we sort of glossed over this earlier with the, the cube thing. You got heavily into competing with that. Yeah, I was I was really, I would say I was addicted to that, actually. Yeah, you kind of did that instead of college for yeah. a while? Yeah, I was in college for five years. It was supposed to be a four-year program, but mm -hmm. uh, I ended up not going to so many classes and just uh, solving the Rubik's Cube. So I got really good at it um, at the expense of almost everything else, but I went to all the regional competitions. I went to the world competitions, the USA competition. When I was competing in 2008, I was top 20 for speed solving, which is solving the cube as fast as you can mm -hmm. at the world competition, and I was top five for blindfold solving. And so you've, but you sort of, uh, you've lost a little bit of interest since then, right? Now you're sort of just casual? Yeah, yeah. So you only sort of solve the cube a few times a day, I guess. Yeah, a few times a day. Usually when I travel, it gets like a big, big boost uh, for the airplane rides and mm -hmm. stuff like that, so. Huh. So you're a get really into something kind of person. Yeah. You have that wiring, I guess. Yeah, I, got, I, I think I do, yeah. I have to control it sometimes, but um, mm. another thing is fitness as well that, I, that I'm kind of into right now. Yeah. I remember when we uh, were in Costa Rica, it was like every day we would do something. Yeah, so. every day. Although that was kind of your idea, too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't blame that all on me. That's okay. Yeah. That's true. That was my idea. <laughs> um, but you were excited about that. Yeah, I was really excited about that. And I've started doing uh, CrossFit, which is uh, just... I hated CrossFit before trying CrossFit just because I thought a lot of it was dumb. Like a lot of the movements that you do in CrossFit are, they're ugly. They're not like, you don't have strict form. You're like, when you're doing pull-ups, your goal is to get your chin above the bar, but it doesn't actually matter how you do that. Mm. So you see like really, really controlled kipping and stuff, um, trying mm -hmm. to be as efficient as possible. Mm -hmm. So your goal isn't necessarily to work out. It's just to like do as many pull-ups as you can, which I guess you'll still get really tired anyway. But that was kind of a turnoff, but I've gotten used to it now, and it's a lot of fun. Now you're a fan? Yeah, now I'm a fan. So you work at uh, GitHub. I work at GitHub. How do you like that? I like it a lot. The main reason I joined GitHub, I was living in San Francisco at the time, and I really wanted to move to uh, Portland, Oregon. Mm -hmm. um, I have a friend there, and I just wanted to try it out. I spent a lot of time in Seattle, so I wanted to get back in that area, see my family and stuff. So it's a lot of fun to work from home and hang out with my dog all day. 
mm-hmm. go to coffee shops and stuff. Yeah, what's your usual routine? I actually do have a really regular routine um, despite working from home. So I, I usually wake up about 6 o'clock and then uh, make breakfast for my wife because she goes to work every day. So uh, we have eggs and bacon. That's in our marriage vows that I have to make eggs and bacon uh, really? so every morning. So I continue to do that, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so... Uh, Committed to a lifetime yeah, of that. Kind of, a, kind of a joke, but still I try to do it. So when I'm gone, I get in a lot of trouble. So we have eggs and bacon um, and then uh, coffee. She leaves, and then usually I sit at our kitchen table for a few hours and just catch up on the chat backlog. Uh, GitHub does a lot of the work asynchronous, so there's um, I- issues and PRs, and um, we use Campfire for chat, and so I usually have to read um, all the backlog on that to get up to date, mm-hmm. the GitHub notifications. Mm-hmm. After that, I, I move over to my standing desk. I stand there until probably about 2 or 3 o'clock, and then I go work out, and that's usually about an hour or hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Come back and hang out for another hour, and then go grocery shopping and make dinner. Hmm. You stand continuously throughout the day? Yeah, I stand I stand throughout the day. The hour or two in the morning is uh, when I sit, and then the rest of the day I'm standing. Hmm. Do you have a coffee ritual? Yes. Every time I eat, I drink a cup of coffee afterwards. Uh, I imagine it's how people smoke, too. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, but every, every time I eat um, anything, except really? for dinner. Oh, okay, not I, dinner. Yeah, not dinner. Uh, I've tried doing decaf, though, now, just because like, I really want a cup of coffee, even after dinner. Uh, just gotten in a habit now. Yeah, it's it's really good. We have so many different ways of making coffee at the house. It's it's just fun. So are you an AeroPress person? No, I haven't tried the AeroPress, but I'm definitely considering. We do the uh, pour over and French press and that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. espresso. Sure. Yeah. You sure you don't live in San Francisco? I'm pretty sure. Actually, Portland is I think better known more. for their coffee than yeah, really? uh, than San Francisco. That yeah, could be. yeah. So a closure. Okay. How did you like uh, our little closure class slash closure script adventure? At first, it was a, a little weird because I had uh, zero exposure to Clojure. Like, I wasn't even really interested in it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I was interested in, like, playing with JavaScript more. So mm-hmm. I think that's how we ended up on just trying out ClojureScript. Yep. And I think my favorite part, um, after we spent half a day getting it working, was just, like, the testing process. It was way better than any experience I've had with testing JavaScript. Mm-hmm. I felt a lot like I was programming Ruby. Like, I had a good cycle going on, and I could... I mean, the test output, like, the results of the test suite were really hard to understand. Yeah. But other than that, um, actually writing the tests and realizing if they've passed or not was really easy to do. And we got it running automatically, and yeah, it was, it was a good flow. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was nice. I think I really liked the way that our, um, I mean, we worked on two, two things basically while we were there, right? We mm-hmm. built the game of life, and then we made a uh, maze generator and solver. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really liked the way the code turned out. After we left, I think we cleaned it up a lot. Um, yeah. When we had more time to focus on it, we weren't like in the sun and stuff but yeah yeah uh, yeah that was one of my takeaways from the thing is like it's it's sort of like pros and cons it's hard to say if it's good or bad but doing a destination trip where it's like we want, we're gonna program a bunch and we're also gonna go to this like beautiful area yeah it's like well aren't we gonna do some of that and like it's figuring a balance out between those things yeah can be a little tricky yeah we should go somewhere like really boring one time just like we're like we're so bored that we have to just program the whole world. it's all relative right like we should just go somewhere that we're already familiar with you know like you should come to portland and hang out in portland i'll be extremely bored the entire time and <laughs> And we'll just be sitting in a cafe or whatever. We'll probably get a lot done. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. I'm okay with mixing a little bit of travel in there. Yeah. yeah. Cool. We actually already planned the next one of these because we, yep. we had a good time. It was yep. good. Uh, we, uh, we're going to Boulder yep. this time. So that's definitely going to be distracting. Yeah. But that's okay. Yeah. It'll be really nice. I think we're going to try to do some biking and stuff too. Yeah, so for sure. Mix it up a little bit. And I think we already know what we're going to work on too. What did we just, I can't remember what we said. Really? Yeah. Can't remember? I forget. Oh, yeah. We're going to do uh, some open source stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
we have been talking, so one of the things we found is that the, the testing culture is not quite as strong, it seems like, in the closure land. Mm -hmm. um, at least what, I, what, we're, what we're encountering is the tools don't seem quite as polished. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I think there's like there's low-hanging fruit in, the, in that area. Like, what does the output look like? Mm -hmm. uh, things like that. Yeah. Like, I'm really familiar with um, test unit in our spec, and the output is like, it's wonderful mm -hmm. when a test fails or passes. You know, the, the cool, even colors are really nice to have. So. Yeah. Just, I think that'd be a really fun project to work on, mm -hmm. making that happen in ClojureScript. Yeah, and I'm definitely at the point where I really want to start contributing to things. Mm -hmm. Like, I think I'm now starting to get like my, my bearings on what what's what mm -hmm. in that world, and so it's like, okay, I don't think it's just me. I think this actually could be better, mm -hmm. and it's kind of a nice opportunity to, to get in there and change it. Mm -hmm. Did you tell me that you're going to be doing some singing during your talk? Yes. Do you wish you hadn't? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm totally happy about it. But you are really the only person that knows. So, oh, well, so well. This so is well going done. out after the. Yeah, I know. It's not a big deal. But, but basically, like, the talk I'm doing on Friday is about memory stuff, which is great. I'm actually not going to talk about programming at all. Mm -hmm. And this is at RailsConf. So I was, like, really excited this talk got accepted because I really enjoy doing talks that aren't related to programming. Because mm -hmm. especially something like memory is, like, it's related to everything, right? I mean, memorizing people's names, obviously that's useful, but mm. numbers, addresses, directions, all those things are useful, um, and they're all really difficult. We write stuff down when we don't need to, grocery lists, to-do lists. When I explain this to people, they're like, oh yeah, I kind of get it, that, that kind of makes sense, I, I kind of see what you're saying, but then at the same time, they don't, they don't really think that they could do it, they mm -hmm. don't really think that they can actually memorize something if they wanted to. Mm -hmm. Like, they'll, leave, they'll probably leave the talk and think about going home and maybe reading a book, but they won't be as excited about it as I want them to be. So. Mm. I'm going to actually start the talk. I'm not going to tell anybody what I'm doing, but I'm going to start the talk, and I'm going to act out 10 random words. Hmm. And it's probably only going to take like three or four minutes, and it's going to be really weird, and people aren't really going to know what's going on, but because of that, it's going to be very memorable. Hmm. And then I'm going to explain, you know, like the limitations of our memory very quickly, because this is something we already know, our memory sucks, and we all kind of share that. And then... Uh, we're going to go review the words, and I think a lot of people in the room are going to actually do really well at remembering 10 random words, which there, I mean, there's been research on this, on how well our, our memories work, and um, we've come to think maybe about four words is our limit um, when we're memorizing a list of random words, and then if we wait longer, 20, 30 seconds, that drops down even more to two words to one word, so... Like, we're going to try to memorize 10 random words and then wait, like, five minutes while I yak and then go back and review it. And I think people are actually going to do really well. So hmm. um, so the singing is going to be in there. It's going to be some other weird stuff, too. Like, nice. probably going to bust out a handstand or something. Um, you know, just, uh, basically, it's Chris Hunt showing off for three minutes <laughs> and everybody memorizing what okay. he does. Yeah, so it'll be a lot of fun. That reminds me of one of my talks. Yeah. <laughs> that's cool. I, I think that's it's, it's nice to have a talk that's a little bit outside the normal realm of programming because it lets you be more flexible in what you're going to do. Right. Like I, that talk I gave last year of how to talk to developers was like not programming related at all, except for, you know, pretending that it's only about developers. Right. <laughs> um, and let me do some crazy wonky stuff. That was really fun. Yeah. I love, uh, you know, like talk, talks that are on topic, of course. But I got to say, man, four, like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, four days of nonstop technical talks, it, it can burn you. So it's really nice to just kind of like go into a talk and not have any idea what to expect or just talk about something different. I mean, it, it could even be about the weather if it's entertaining. Um, so it's, I like to try to, rather than teach people things, just get them excited about something and so they'll leave and maybe learn about it on their own, but just change it up a little bit. Uh, awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming by. It's good to talk to you. Good to talk to you, Ben. And uh, good luck on your talk. Thank you. Even though we're coming at you from the future. <laughs> Watch it on video. Yeah. All right. Cool. 
If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to thoughtbot.com slash giantrobots slash 98. Thanks for listening.